Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome back to The Basement Binge, everybody, or welcome if this is your first time. I'm really excited to talk about Eternal, so there's not much to get into. Besides, let's start with this first segment, Two Cents. This is completely spoiler-free, so if you haven't seen the film, don't worry, I won't ruin anything. We will get into spoilers later for those of you who have seen the film. Let's talk about this film spoiler-free. And bear with me here on this episode. This is the first time in a long time I'm doing this without notes. I'm pulling a mat, trying to be an android, and just produce my thoughts without writing anything down first. Because Eternals is a really interesting movie to talk about. As much as I criticized Martin Scorsese even forever ago in the podcast when we were doing the MCU, and I couldn't even pronounce his name, for calling the Marvel movies, I think he said theme parks. As much as I disagree with him and have so many arguments against him, I'm starting to understand what he means. In no way is that a negative thing. I went and saw Shang-Chi when that came out, and I walked out of the theater jazzed and hyped. I was with my friends. We were all enjoying it. It was just like, yeah, like it was, it was exciting. And the desire to see it again is just like getting off of a roller coaster that was really fun. It was short. It was brief. You don't have too much to say about it, but like, man, that was fun. And this is my favorite part of it. And this is your favorite part of it. Yeah, that was awesome. We wanted, we could do that again. And, it, and it, it's that kind of feeling. You're not talking about the emotional experience you had as you went up a hill or down. You're talking about the excitement and the fun that it, that is intentionally created in a roller coaster. I don't think a roller coaster or an amusement park is ever trying to convey deep emotions about human existence. And not that Shang-Chi doesn't do that. And I mean, go listen to the episode if you don't believe me. But it, that's largely what it is. And Eternals is not that. It was really interesting as this was one of the films that I was most excited for this year. Dune and Eternals were my two most anticipated films for the year, particularly in in the trailers for Eternals, Chloe Zhao directing it, the things Kevin Feige has said about it. He's said it's going to be a best picture winner. Like he really believes in this film. And I think he sees the difference in it compared to the rest of the Marvel films. And then it started to get a lot of bad press. And so I tempered my expectations. Dune was incredible. And so I, I... put myself in lower expectations than I did for Dune. And I'm glad I did because it allowed me to go into the movie and to just think whatever the Eternals is, it's just going to be. It's going to be whatever it's going to be, if that makes any sense. Because of that, I was able to walk into the theater and just let the film be whatever it was going to be. I didn't have particular ideas that I wanted the film to do. I just wanted to see what the film was and then go from there. Because this isn't like most Marvel films Eternals has to do a lot. There is a large amount of things happening in the story from being an origin story for very large characters. There's 10 Eternals in this team family unit that they are. And we have to introduce every single one of them as a character with their personal motivations and desires and emotions and characteristics and strengths and weaknesses and power sets. 
while also introducing the Eternals and the Celestials that created the Eternals and the Deviants as an idea, while also explaining where have they been in the rest of the MCU and where are they going to be in the MCU moving forward. That is a big task, and the movie takes a lot of time in doing that, while never shying away from also showing the individual emotions of each character. That's something that I think Chloe Zhao does really, really well. To me, the biggest touch of Chloe is in the deeply passionate and genuine love for human life and human connection and how valuable and important that is into our life and their portrayal of it. It was very similar to Nomadland for me, where the majority of Nomadland, I could appreciate the direction and the art behind it, but it didn't really click. It wasn't, not that it didn't click, it's not that I didn't get it or didn't resonate with it. It just, it didn't feel the emotion. I saw the emotion and didn't feel it. And then there came a moment, it was towards the end of the film, or just was all brought together. And I, I can't necessarily describe that moment. I can't really remember what it is in No Man Land. And it's not because that movie's forgettable, but there was just a moment where the emotion came. And the same thing happened to me here in Eternals. That for a large part of it, I was just letting it be what it was. And I appreciated the attempt and what they were trying to do so differently for the MCU that they've never done before. And it, but it, it, it didn't it wasn't powerful in that emotion. It was just there. I was just observing it. I was watching characters do things and watching the plot play out. And then there was this moment that I will reel later in when we get in spoilers where now it had power and it was moving and I wasn't expecting that. It's very, very different from the rest of the MCU in that way that that really feels like what's at the heart of it. When it tries to connect to the MCU, when it brings up the blip, when it brings up Thanos, those are the moments when the film feels the weakest surprisingly. And I think what's interesting is that, for, for example, Black Widow, I really, really had a hard time with Black Widow because so much of what I've focused on in the MCU is how is this going to affect everything else? I think that ruined WandaVision for a lot of us. It ruined so many shows. It ruined Black Widow for me where the focus wasn't, oh, what is the story that's happening right now? It's how does this story change? What's going to come later? When are we getting the multiverse almost type attitude? That really ruined Black Widow for me because it just was a, such a standalone film and and besides an end credit scene really didn't do anything for the MCU while it did something for the individual film but for some reason here and maybe I think it's my fault that it didn't work with Black Widow but it worked here but I also think that it's direction that goes along with it and the care for each one of these characters and the performances these actors do a good job in portraying these Eternals as people. I mean, even though they're not human, they have feelings that I can observe and think about and contemplate. It feels very real. On top of that, the film is shot magnificently. I mean, it's actually outside. There's not green screen everywhere. Yes, there is green screen. Yes, it still has the signatures of CGI action abundance and flat lighting and muted color palettes. Yes, it has all these things, but it's also actually outside and it's beautiful and has natural lighting that I really like and has really intimate moments that are much slower and don't really do anything besides just portray connection. And I think that that's incredible. And while the edit cuts way too many times and it is really jarring and annoying, it is doing its best to do nothing but portray emotion. It is rare that we get a film in the Marvel series to slow down and just focus on that. Everything is focused on the hero or the bad guy or how it progresses the plot or something else. Rarely is it just focused on a feeling. And that's where the Eternals, for me, was at its best. Recently, I mean, it's one of those first times that I I don't feel bad in really enjoying a Marvel movie. I mean, not that I ever feel bad about my opinion, but like, 
I, I can understand why people don't like Shang-Chi and, and why people are tired of the MCU or, or whatever. Shang-Chi for me has, is, I love, it was one of those films that really got me excited about the MCU and its playfulness again. Well, this is one of those films that I can defend honestly and personally. And, and it, to credit of the film, it takes itself seriously. It's not joking about what it's doing or what it's portraying or what these characters are feeling. It, it handles some really gray, serious ideas and topics of a character and is very mature, not in that like it's R-rated and incredibly violent in that level of mature, but mature in the way that it thinks about things with greater understanding and more experience and more thoughtfulness. It thinks about things a little slower. It's contemplative, not in a like, oh, we know the answers type of way, more in of what are the answers type of way. It's contemplating. It's, it's fascinating to watch. So that's really all I can say in my two cents. Yes, it has some weaknesses, mainly in the editing, in the muted color scale, in, in the way that it has to handle 10 characters. And so a lot of them get pushed to the side frequently. And most of the time it feels like a Cersei movie and not an Eternals movie, which I understand it's difficult to manage a team. I, I mean, but there's a lot of scenes where characters literally are just pushed to the side just because. And, and so that's difficult on top of the way that it feels really weak in its connection to the MCU. But by and large, I really, really enjoyed Eternals. I'm, I'm so glad that Chloe did what she did with it and that she was ambitious. To just real briefly talk about the negative reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, I encourage you to go read them. I specifically went to Rotten Tomatoes. You can click on the critics reviews. And then I scrolled until I saw the negative ones and I always clicked on read review and I watched a few minutes of a video or I read the entire article because that, that, that's their job. And I wanted to see what they thought about it. What these people that aren't enjoying it, if you're too lazy to go read it, by and large, it's people saying that the, the tone of Chloe and, and her personal, compassionate, humanistic self doesn't match with the tone of the MCU. On top of that, her personal style is ruined by the creative restrictions of the MCU and its over-reliance on CGI and its, its product-like production, those types of things. And it was something that I actually expected and I wanted to make it a video about and I didn't, but I bet most of these people who aren't enjoying it aren't typical MCU-type critics. They're people who are Nomadland-type critics. And not that they can't transfer over and not that they can't enjoy both, but, but these, it's, it's like trying to mix oil and water. These are two things that normally don't mix together. And so when they don't, it, it doesn't gel with everybody. And I, and I understand that. And I'm not trying to tell them that they're wrong. My experience was just different. And yours is going to be too. I really enjoyed it. If you didn't, that's okay. I, I, I want to hear why. Please tell me. I, I, not to, to tell you that you're wrong, but because I'm genuinely interested. So after you see the film, let me know. But that's going to be it for the spoiler-free segment. Let's move on to the spoilers here. Super brief announcement before we move on to the next segment. They gave me like 30 posters. I'll post them on social media so you can see what they're like. They're also in a TikTok video I made. They gave me a bunch of them. If you leave a review on Podchaser, reach out to me over social media. I will mail you one. You can have one. Really, they gave me like 30 of them. They're pretty cool posters. Pretty high quality. I'll mail them to you. I won't roll them. I won't fold them. They'll be mailed in a flat envelope, uncreased. Leave a review on Podchaser. I'll mail you one. So let's move on to the next segment here. Pick your poison, which here at the base of Minge, this is our rating scale. We don't have percentages like Rotten Tomatoes. I do have a rating out of five stars on Letterboxd that so you can go read. But here at the base of Minge, we don't use that. We use a four choices, all based on how bingeable this film is. Never watch it again is the bottom, very self-explanatory. 
above that, we have to stream it. It's on a service you're already paying for. You're looking for something to watch. You'd be willing to click on it. Above that is rent it. You'd be in the right mood. You'd be willing to watch it again. And above that is buy it. This is a difficult film to rate because I'm still contemplating if I want to see this movie again. Not because I didn't like it, but it's one of those films like, yeah, I'm, I'm really, really glad I watched that. It was good. I have a good rating for it. But, you know, it, there's not a lot that drives me to see it again. I'm, I'm, I'm not quite to that point. I'm in between. But it's also in the MCU, and I'm a big fan of collecting the MCU and collecting digital media. I've held off on a lot of these things. I don't own Black Widow. I don't plan to. There's some phase three things that I stopped buying just because it, it seemed like a waste to buy things that I'm probably never going to watch again. And if I want to, they're on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> so that makes it hard. But, but in the purpose of pick your poison. What is this? It'd be right now undecided. This is somewhere between a rent and a buy. Yeah. Confidently between a rent and a buy right now. Not a hundred percent sure. There are things about this that I would like to enjoy again. I'm not going to rush out to buy it. I here's, here's my rating. This will be one of those films on my Blu-ray wish list that I'll pay attention to. And when it's on a good sale, I'll buy it and then I'll watch it again. Eventually. There we go. That's my confident poison that I've now picked. So let's get into the next segment here. Live Up, which is, we're going to get into the spoilers at this point, if you didn't realize. Live Up is where I talk about my expectations for the film, and if it was able to live up to them, segment is aptly named. It's interesting to talk about my expectations for this film because I feel like they were pretty blank. I went into the theater having tempered my expectations because of the negative reviews, and while I disagree with them, I yeah, disagree with them. I'm grateful for them because having my expectations changed really helped. I went in with nothing in my mind except for whatever this is, is what it's going to be. And then I'm going to judge it. So all my thoughts about it were going to be formed after seeing the movie. And so it allowed everything that happened for good or bad to just be exactly that the movie, it wasn't having to constantly be graded against my expectations. It was simply just there. It, it, it was. And so it allowed a lot of things to work that I don't think would have otherwise. Something that lived up to my expectations, at least the expectations that I wanted to have, that it really did, is having the fingerprint of Chloe Zhao shine through in a few things. One, in her love of the physical world, you know, of nature, of being outside, things that simple, of shooting on location, natural lighting, those types of things. But also the consistent, compassionate, genuine, and passionate love for life and connection and how that adds value to living and the importance of it in our life, the care for life in general. Similar to what I expressed in the two cents in Nomadland, that was something that I felt a presence of in the film. There's, there's a lot of moments that just do nothing except for display connection, display emotion, display loving interaction for nothing but that to display loving interaction and that being the value of that scene. But it doesn't, it, it didn't have any lasting power for me. It, it wasn't moving until the moment when Gilgamesh died and they were standing at the fire. Is that Gilgamesh's death? And Kingo's assistant, Karun, I think is how you say his name. I had to look it up on IMDb, is I think reciting a prayer of some kind. I'm not sure. His hands in front of him, there's that fire. And that's the moment where the emotion really hit me. And I, I got kind of emotional, not because. Gilgamesh has died. I'm like, don't get me wrong. I loved Gilgamesh. He was one of my favorite characters. And to see him go was really sad. But it was more of just like the care for connection, the care for 
family, to care for friends, whatever that connection is and how that means something and how that's valuable and how enjoying that and accepting that and valuing that is what was being expressed and portrayed in that scene. And that was important. Like in No Man Land, that was the moment where it all came together and where it worked, where it was touching. And it's not just that one scene that does it. It's consistently in the story and how very uniquely for the MCU, it actually has conversations and questions about morality and not just in the way that in the MCU, we don't get too many conversations about right and wrong beyond just the bad guy's bad and the good guys are good and a declaration of what is right and wrong simply kind of binarily here. Things are a lot more gray, both in the mission, so to speak of the Eternals and the Celestials and how the loss of life creates billions more do the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the unwillingness versus the desire to be involved in human conflict and to to help instead of just watch topics of free will i mean the entire team are their own enemies because they can't decide on what is right and what is wrong and while icarus is a little bit more black Kingo is a character who I thought was really gray and that he, he doesn't want to fight anyone. And he does believe it's wrong to, to let so many people die. He also believes that it's right to let so many people be born. And I don't know the last time that we had that ambiguity in something like this before, and it makes it really worthwhile. These are the moments when the film is the strongest. Like the lines at the end, we became one, even Icarus and Sprite, because of Taimut. I mean, that's a great line. The enemy, so to speak, is what brought their unity. Not in that like, oh, because we have to defeat the enemy, we were able to be unified, our common mission. But no, literally the power of the celestial is what allowed them to be united. How do you define what's right and wrong in that moment? It's something that the film does really good in its contemplative way. Even right now, as I record this, it feels serious and not like, oh my gosh, this is the most depressing thing ever, but that it's, that it's serious. Like that sometimes I think that word is taken too heavily. No, just this, I'm serious. I'm not joking. I'm not making fun or making light of anything. And I think the film does really good at doing that. It's interesting because the film at its weakness is when it's trying to connect to the rest of the MCU. When it's referencing the blip, when it's referencing Thanos, it, it really loses that seriousness. I mean, something that is just has been difficult for me recently is to feel like what's being portrayed in the film. Why are we not seeing the way it affects other people? Like, oh, these events are just happening to the lives of the Eternals. And that's just difficult. I mean, that was the same for pick any film. It just feels very isolated and kind of like it exists in a vacuum. And it's just even more difficult to do when you have something as interconnected as the MCU. But I'm enjoying that more and more of these stories are feeling more spread out and how that's making the entire MCU feel and allow for films like this to happen. Some other things that, that really were surprising and how bad they were is the deviants were just immediately brushed to the side like they they were hardly there they were just a distraction and then quickly dismissed additionally there's a lot of times where characters 
disappear out of scenes, particularly Thena. I, I don't know if it was Angela Jolie's schedule or whatever. Like there were moments where you could just tell she wasn't on set. And because of that, she was written out of the scene. And I don't know what came first, but there's one moment towards the end of the film where they're on the ship and Thena's there. And in one shot, she's just not there. And, and she didn't walk away. Why isn't she in the shot? It would make sense that she would be. Things like that. It's hard to balance 10 people at once and they go quickly. They die faster than I thought they would. And the characters who I thought would stay are not the characters that stay. I thought Angelique Jolene was going to be the first to go just for contractual reasons. I thought maybe she'd sign up for one film, but I guess she signed up for more. It also really struggles in the edit. There are, there are multiple scenes where it just cuts way too many times. And I'm not talking about the action. The action is fine. In IMAX, it was awesome. It felt really big and that was fun. I really liked the way the f- format of IMAX was used here. But I'm talking more about scenes that aren't necessary. Like there's an interaction between Ajax and Icarus in South Dakota and Ajax is talking and it just keeps cutting back and forth. And I was like, can you just keep it on one shot and let it linger? Goodness gracious, it just, it was annoying. So there's just a lot of things where it, it isn't perfect. I'm not here to make an argument about whether that's the limitations and lack of creativity given to someone like Chloe Zhao in the restrictions of the MCU and the product-like production that it has. I, I'm not here to, to pick a side. I, I don't know enough about that. It's just the Eternals has to do so many things to, to make us care about these individuals, to care about their family unit, to believe in the individual emotional pr- arc and progress and standing of each one of these characters while also standing the story of a whole that's a lot to do in one film and i think that it's balanced really well while carrying the weight of genuinely caring about each one of these individuals and each one of the people that they're trying to protect i thought that worked really really well in the film so i didn't really have any expectations so i I, did it live up to them yes it exceeded them because it was just my expectations were to let the film be what it was and it is what it is and it was good so yeah i guess so But with that, we'll move on to binge points. I don't really have too many, except for I just like the way that Icarus flew to the sun. For some reason, that made me really emotional. Not, not when he was flying into the sun. At the end, when Kingo was talking to Cersei and saying that they all followed their heart, including Icarus. And in my head, I just heard the, the Bastille song, Icarus flew too close to the sun. It made me want to cry. I thought that was interesting. No, those are the only binge points. So just because it doesn't really fit anywhere else, and I think they fit well for the segment, let's talk about those two end credit scenes because those are really exciting. So first, let's talk about the end credit scene, not the mid credit scene, the end credit scene with Dane, who's played by Kit Harrington. That sword is the ebony blade, which is a pretty cool sword. It's magical. It can cut through pretty much anything, and it can defend the user of it against magic and absorb souls. It's magical, okay? It's a pretty intense sword, but part of it is that it makes the wielder of the sword bloodthirsty. Hence the warning, my reward is death. It's also really exciting because the character of Dane in the comics becomes an Avenger, the Black Knight, who wields that sword. I'm excited to see what happens there, but more exciting than that is a character you didn't see in just the one that you heard. If you didn't know who it was, Chloe Zhao confirmed it, but in the theater, I knew immediately who it was because his voice is incredible. It's silky smooth. Mahershala Ali. He is playing Blade. I was hoping that he would show up, that we would see him in an end credit scene in Morbius somehow, because I really think Morbius, after No Way Home, is going to be pretty connected. But we're already hearing him. I hope we're getting Blade sooner than we thought. I have been ex- Blade is one of those films I'm most excited about. 
especially because of Mahershal Ali. So that way, I mean, clearly he's going to show up. He knows a lot about these mystic soul consuming type things. He also just knows a lot about blades. So I'm very, very excited for him. Additionally, Eros, he is an eternal. He is a brother of Thanos. He has the same type of cosmic power that the Eternals do. So if you didn't know throughout the film, that's what their powers are, is, is cosmic energy and how they use it that allows them to regenerate themselves and live on. And their unique use of it is how they just choose to devote their use over that cosmic energy. For Cersei, it's the manipulation of inanimate objects. For Druig, it's the manipulation of people's minds. For Fastos, it's, it, it's, it's inventing and, and creating machinery type thing. For Thena, it's the creation of close combat weapons so on and so forth. Eros, or Star Fox, obviously played by the incredible Harry Styles, he has that same ability to manipulate cosmic energy, similar superpowers, particularly in that he can control people's emotions, which is interesting. Does that mean that he's a good guy or a bad guy? Hopefully he's on your side because he can control emotions. Very excited to see what he does. Obviously, they're going to need his help in working with other Eternals and fighting off the Celestials, maybe. I'm not sure what they're doing, but, but that's pretty exciting. So that's what you get in the end credit scenes. Obviously, we don't have the answers of what's going to happen, just that exciting things are happening. Clearly, especially in the way that the three Earthbound Eternals were abducted, Fastos, Circes, and Kingo, the way that their memories are going to create the judgment of humans. The Celestials will return. That is exciting. So with that, those are all the binge points I have. I just saw the film for the first time. What do you want from me? Let's move on to the next segment. Least and likes. My least favorite scene, my favorite scene. Least favorite, not necessarily a thing, scene, but just least favorite thing is being in an empty theater. I was, felt like I was the only one laughing and the only one having reactions audibly in the theater. Maybe it's because I was far away from the other people, but man, I got to say that, that recently, the last two films I saw in theaters, I went and saw James Bond a second time. No Time to Die, fantastic. But it was a pretty empty theater and it was not as exciting as seeing it the first time. There's something about being in a packed theater that I got to make sure I pick better showtimes to be with those like-minded individuals, even if they still refuse to talk to me. There's something really beneficial about being in a group. As far as to pick an actual scene that would be my least favorite, it's when Gilgamesh is dying and Thena is just kind of like stuck against a tree. Like it, it really kind of just felt like, oh, we need Gilgamesh to die. So let's have Thena have a freak out right now. I'm not, I don't know. I just, but to me, it was characters are sidelined a lot. And this really feels like Cersei's story more than anything else. Like she's definitely the emotional center of the story, but sometimes it feels like this is the movie should be titled Cersei and not Eternals. And so just in general, that was my least favorite thing, how consistently characters were pushed aside. Now to get to my favorite scene, it's not so much a scene as it is just a character. And it's Karun, the valet for Kingo. There is something about an Indian accent that just hits my funny bone. I had a, a chemistry teacher in junior high or middle school, whatever you call it, who was from India and she had a very, very thick accent. And I loved listening to her. Like I, I, there was something that her accent made learning more exciting. So I've always just kind of loved that accent. And Karun is also just funny. Like there's this one scene where something happens and then Drew's like, did you get that? And he's like, yes, I did, sir. Or something like that. And it, it was funny. It, it was a, it was a good type of funny where he just, he was so excited to be along for the ride and it felt really genuine. It wasn't like, Oh, we got to add in these quips. It felt like an individual involved in this crazy adventure. And that on top of being humorous, 
also felt really genuine and that's why I loved it. He, he was funny, particularly at the end, how he was leaving and he talked, he said, thank you. And, and talked about how it was an honor to be with him. He, he just felt like a very genuine, loving, lightful character that, that when I mean, when I say lightful, I mean a character full of light. That was a weird way to say it. I, I just really, really loved him. Now there's other scenes that are stronger or, or and, and totally different, but I, I, I love that. I also love everything that happens between Gilgamesh and Thena. I, I just thought that care and love for one another was really special. So let's get into the last segment here, Fall In. This is where I talk about the messages, meanings, themes, or ideas in the film that I find important and adding value to my life. Movies made meaningful, as the tagline says for the, the podcast. This is an interesting segment to talk about in this film because I think this film is one that has strong values that I don't have answers to. Like I talked about earlier, there's a lot of ambiguity and grayness in the morality of the Celestials and what they do and how so many lives will be lost, but at the creation of others. And I think it's Icarus, if I remember right, who says a line, you know, if we were to ask them, if we were to give them a choice, how many people would sacrifice themselves for others to live? And it's an interesting question. I think lots of people would. I think we would be surprised at how many people we would. But that doesn't necessarily make it right. Do the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few? I, I, I think, I don't know. I've never been in that situation where I've had to decide that. And I'm, I'm glad I haven't. But what I am really grateful for is for the, how the film expresses the idea that maybe sometimes that isn't the decision that we have to make. Sometimes there's a better way. I think in particular the message of unity and working together and how that's a better way. And not that unity solves every problem, but unity allows us to find solutions to the problem. I think that especially right now with everything happening in the world, especially here in the U.S., with the coronavirus and political division, this message of unity and being of one mind is really powerful. It just means that the unification of that idea the willingness to work together towards that idea is what allows progress. It's division that prevents progress. And that's been on my mind a lot. I think more than anything, we need to be united. It's something that Matt in his, in from Matt Goes to Movies talked about in his Breakfast Club episode that I really liked. Sometimes it's good to have a reminder that unity really is a, a good and powerful thing, that the different people with different experiences and passions and interests and even ideas can work together to a good end, but also how sometimes people aren't there. Whether that's by choice or circumstance, sometimes we have to move on without everyone. I enjoyed it. It's not perfect. It, it, it's kind of weak in the way it tries to connect to the MCU. Besides the end credit scenes that really make it feel a part of the MCU and is exciting for what's going to happen. But the rest of it is just a really personal film about connection and about love and about working together through a really unique team of internals that's directed with a lot of genuine sincerity towards human life and compassion for that it's well done so yeah the internals having the right expectations definitely helped in my experience of this but i i'm interested to keep reading those people who didn't like it or who did I, i'm interested to see what people think about it because i feel like this is a really unique and ambitious take in the MCU that uses mature thinking in its ideas that it expresses. And, and that's new for the MCU and it's different 
and I'm interested to see if it's here to stay. So let me know what you thought of the episode. Let me know what you think of the film. I'd love to hear you. Connect with me on social media. Comment on the, the post I have on there, Letterboxd, Instagram, TikTok. If you want a poster that I have, let me know. Leave a review on Podchaser. Let me know you want a poster. I'll mail it to you. I promise I'll mail it to you. So all of the links for that are in the show notes, or you can just find The Basement Binge on all social medias, wherever you're listening to podcasts. Podchaser.com slash The Basement Binge, all of those things. But once again, my name is Harrison. This is The Basement Binge. And that's all for now. Ciao, ciao. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.